Welcome back to Kafaro Cast, everyone. This is Frank here with Aaron across the table, and we are talking about Colorado High Country mule deer. We just got back from a from the first portion of the trip, and we're here to talk about it. So I don't know how many days it was. What was it? Seven days, maybe. I was nine, I think. Uh, you were nine days. I was about seven days. Yeah. Well, Frank, why don't since mine's much longer with a lot more adventures since you killed yours first, why don't you kind of go over what happened? Yeah, so we um, didn't get to do a whole heck of a lot of scouting this this summer. We we had other obligations, and you had um, you have a goat tag coming up here in the end of September, early October. So it was kind of that was more of the priority. So we didn't get a whole heck of a lot of scouting in. We I think we went once or twice this year, and I didn't even get back into my spot just because of the high snow levels and trails were blocked off and um, yeah, time constraints. But um, we. One thing I always like to do every year is go in a couple of days early and kind of get a, an idea of what's in the area. So you and I camp a few miles apart and uh, got back to my spot and started finding deer. I've been hunting this area for, gosh, I don't know how long since, basically since I was a kid, but since I've been bow hunting, this is where I've been mainly focusing. So I kind of, nice thing about that is you kind of get an idea over time of where animals are going to be hanging out and where to look. So, um Got in, we got in Thursday afternoon and started glassing and started turning up bucks. And, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a cool trip. Um, this is, I actually camped in a different spot than I did last year, hunted the same general vicinity, but this spot I like camping in more just because, uh, kind of like what we were talking about with Omni on the previous podcast. I like to camp in a spot that has a few different things, which would be pretty close access to water, the ability to glass from camp if you have to. Uh, pretty close to um, a spot where you can get elevated in glass and then also have some sort of windbreak or shelter from from the elements so which I kind of camped in a little patch of pines there so um, yeah we uh, we we it was it was a fun trip we, we got in there early started turning up bucks I found uh, I want to say four or five different groups of bucks um, all of which had shooters I'm not a trophy hunter by any means but a, a bunch of cool bucks and the bucks that uh i ended up getting my deer out of uh aaron chase for a few days as well and that had a, a really cool variety of, of different bucks to that i would i wanted to, to go after so there was a really cool big wide three by four there was the tall buck that i shot and then there was that split g2 g3 trashy buck with a smaller frame that um we ended up chasing for a few days um, so I guess just, yeah, fast forwarding to, to opening day. So I, I was glassing a, the side of a basin that this was a little bit different than kind of what we normally were looking at. This one was just a, a big basin that had a lot of boulders and very small patches of trees. So with that being said, the, and there's a lot of, I guess, rolling hills. So the, the deer, I was kind of telling Aaron when he moved in the first day um, to, after I got my, my deer that like you might not spot these bucks until later in the morning just because they're they're behind these little rolling hills and these little i guess they're not necessarily drainages but there's so much different um diversity in the topography over there that you won't necessarily see them right off the bat so i didn't see the bucks that i wanted to go after until about eight or nine a.m they were feeding down in a low low spot and i couldn't see them but i've started thinking like damn man where, where do these bucks go but they ended up feeding out into the same spot um, and bedding in the same spot, I had spotted them on Thursday and Friday. So there was the there was a group of seven bucks over there, and they were bedding in front of these boulders and kind of these small pines. But 
um, I was kind of thinking about it the other day and they would get up, prob- they'd probably bed around 8, 39 o'clock and they'd get up every two hours or so. And it was a little bit different over there because if you can kind of like imagine like a sundial, the way the sun was moving on those rocks, they're laying in front of big boulders. So they're not less necessarily super, um, concealed by, by trees and stuff from the sun. So they're getting up every few hours to, to feed and then they'll, they rebed in, in the shade wherever it, it adjusts to. So I decided those are the bucks I wanted to go after. I wanted to shoot the big three, the tall, the tall buck or the trashy buck. I was going to take any one of those, um, any one of those deer and spotted them about eight o'clock, uh, eight thirty. They ended up bedding right where they'd been bedding previously. Uh, they got up one time and I decided to go after him around 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And like we were talking about in the previous podcast, it it's a pretty long hike over there. It's a, just a huge basin and you got to walk, I don't know, probably a mile and a half, maybe longer um, around the basin to get to that point. So knowing that, I, I just I loaded up everything I wanted to to have with me in the morning before, uh, before I left camp. I had all my kill kit, all my... Uh, all my rain gear, all that stuff with me, knowing that once I spot these bucks and they bed down, I'm going to bail off this glassing point and uh, head over there as fast as I could because it's probably going to take 45 minutes to an hour. So the funny thing is um, I knew where I wanted – This is, I think this is pretty important to have a, a visual cue or at least um, I guess you'd call it terrain association when you get to the spot where you're, you're, you're going to start your approach. I knew there was – four big gray boulders on the side of the hill where I wanted to start my stock. And then there were, um, there were these like six tiny little trees that I wanted to get to. So, and it never looks the same. That's the funny thing. It never looks the same once you get over there, no matter how many you can take pictures on your cell phone or you can draw a map or what have you. But once you get over, it never looks the same. So I got to those gray rocks. I kind of peek over the top of the, of the ridge or of the basin there. I came out, I walked all the way around, then came. My approach was on the back side there, and I saw a small, like a forkhorn that was with that group. He was kind of up on a on a high point, and he just had like a little bit of a of a tree or a jack pine near his face. So I had to uh, I had to belly crawl probably a hundred yards, hundred fifty yards to get out of sight to where I could line up that tree with his head. Um, so he wouldn't see me and once I got in line with that there was like a bit of a depression to, so I could just crawl down there and then basically I could walk straight to the kind of where I wanted to start my stock and um, I think that's that's super important is whenever you're going after a group of bucks or there's a certain I guess you can say target buck even though um, Lander hates that term <laughs> if, you, if you go after whatever buck you have in mind I think it's very important to to know how many bucks are in the group so like when you came over I would be like there's a group of seven bucks over here there's a group of five bucks over here you got to keep in mind of what other bucks are in the area because I think um, it's super easy to get tunnel vision on one deer and then you get over there and then you always get busted out not by the deer that you're after but one of its buddies so I knew that particular buck was in that group. I think there were like, I, think, I believe there were seven bucks in that group. And um, that was one of the bucks I couldn't see when I started my approach or when I was glassing that morning. I wasn't quite sure where he bedded, but I knew he was close by the other one. So got over there. I, I, there was this big square boulder that I wanted to get to. And uh, I knew that it was close to the deer. So <laughs> so I start walking over there. Um, I, I just had the, I dropped my, my frame 
and a big bag, probably, um, I don't know, 100, 200 yards from those big gray boulders. And I just had the Bane pack on. I got to those gray boulders and I was like, I'm just going to drop this, the Bane and I'll take my boots off once I get a little bit closer. So I do the belly crawling. I get out of sight of that smaller buck. I kind of quietly walk up there to that boulder. I'm still, I still got my boots on. And, uh, like I was saying, like, no matter, almost seems like no matter what you do, whether you, you analyze in the spotter for however long, once you get there, it never generally looks the exact same. So I get to this boulder. I'm like, all right, once I get to this boulder, I'm going to take my boots off and I'm going to start my approach to where I think these bucks are. And as soon as I say that in my head, I look over, I just peek over and I see, I see antlers at 20 yards. And one of the bucks had gotten up out of his bed and was kind of stretching. And I just kind of see him kind of like rolling his head and like stretching his neck. And I was like, holy shit, I am way closer than I thought. And uh, that ended up being one of the smaller four points in the group. Right next to him, bedded down, was that trashy buck, but I couldn't see him. Because the cool thing about that spot where we were at, it was very terraced. So it was it made for a great for great bow hunting because you can just get up above them and it, it le- gave you a lot of concealment. So I, I mean, I just so happened to peek over at my peripheral vision I, and I saw those antlers and I was like, no way I, <laughs> I screwed up. Basically I thought I was, I was screwed, but the wind was perfect right in my face. I think what, ha- what helped was on that walk up the, the wind was pretty stiff. It was probably, I don't know, 15, 20, 20 miles an hour. So it was, it wasn't cranking, but it was enough to kind of, um, muffle the sound of me walking through the grass over there. So I kind of just squatted down, quietly took my bino harness off and quietly untied my shoes because I thought I was going to have to walk a little or kind of sneak back around just to get behind these bucks out of where their line of sight was. And so I did that, knocked an arrow, arranged the tree where that buck was kind of standing. He was about 20, 20 yards or so. And, um, I mean, he was a decent four pointer. It wasn't anything huge. And I'm like, well, if there's, I'm not going to pass up this opportunity on this buck. And I sneak around, kind of get back to where he was. He re- rebedded, and as soon as I look up, that tall buck walked out from behind a tree, and he was 40 yards. And I was like, "Holy shit! I'm gonna shoot this buck instead." And uh, he walked up to a tree, started raking his antlers, and um, it was 46 yards. And I drew back and I shot him, hit him perfectly with the uh, with the iron will. He was slightly quarter away, which I really like that shot for, just because you generally hit most of everything that you want to hit as far as um, being lethal. So. It went in right behind the shoulder and came out kind of in front of the the offside shoulder in the chest area. So it was a complete pass through, and um, yeah, he piled up in like 50 yards. So it was it was cool. That never generally happens to me. That's what I was saying on um, on my Instagram story. Like I've I can't really think of any time I've ever killed anything on the first day on the very first stock. Um, so yeah, I felt felt super happy about it and um, texted Aaron on the Delorean. Said, yeah, you should head over here. We got a bunch of bucks, and uh, I'll take care of this deer and get him back to camp. Yeah, my morning did not start out that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, same same thing with Frank. Obviously, we went in early, but I uh, the the day before season, I had spotted the two bucks that I'd really talked about before, and the two that we wanted to go after. I wanted to go after one was a really big three by four and one was um, a really wide four by four. And there was kind of history with both. And the day before season, they were bedded in about the most perfect spot you could possibly imagine. And uh, I'd videoed some hikers doing, you know, I don't know exactly what they were doing. They're doing yoga? Yeah, some kind of yoga 
moves and they were photographing themselves and one of them actually fell down and I found out later broke their wrist, um, fell off a rock and, and uh, some hiker or some other hunters I ran into had told me they ran into him and she, she broke her wrist. And anyway, not those people, but the next group were started rolling boulders off the, the cliffs where the, the deer were bedded. They didn't know that. And then the deer kind of blew down into the trees, which wasn't a huge problem. And then as I'm, I'm glassing, actually um, a, a couple people set up shelters right in the basin where the deer hang out which pretty pretty much emptied the basin i think i saw 20 some or can't remember it's 20 or 30 deer you know does and bucks blow out the bottom uh into the trees which was a little disconcerting uh kind of a downtime and so uh opening morning kicked off and where the deer were there was there was i think seven other hunters at that time in there maybe it's quite a few um i had dropped down into a a bit of a bowl and this is when i got the message from frank on the inreach that he'd got a buck and it was actually funny i was glassing like you know half mile mile away trying to find the this really wide buck and a four by four literally as i'm looking through the binoculars all of a sudden it goes dark and uh a four by four standing like i don't know 15 yards in front of me looking in my binoculars <laughs> and he kind of looked at me for a second and I thought, oh, he's gonna he's gonna blow out. And he actually just laid down right in front of me. And it wasn't a buck I wanted to shoot. It was it was probably three years old. And it um, oh laid there for maybe fifteen twenty minutes. Um, the wind's pretty steady upwards, so I wasn't worried about him winding me. I just didn't move. And uh, he got up and rebedded maybe another 20 yards to my left and at that point where he was at um i was able to sneak out of there and, and get up the hill and i'd contemplated shooting him actually i um he wasn't a horrible buck but it was like well man i i really kind of was wanting to shoot one of these other two bucks and i thought about it for a while and i thought well i'm gonna go up and kind of figure out what frank's got going on and he should have just called me up i had the wide angle lens yeah, that would have helped. Would have made that thing into a 180. It was a 140, and it definitely would have went to 180. You just get the <laughs> camera lens like two inches from its face. But <laughs> I got to the top, and as I climbed back up to my camp, there was now five tents in that basin, and I think 13 total hunters. And I had run into a couple guys that had messaged me prior um, to, and I, and I said, hey, you know, I left a bunch of my food and stuff at kind of, you know, quote-unquote Camp 1, and uh, said, hey, I'm, I'm heading to go um, back two or three more miles. Uh, I'll see you guys in a, in a few days. Went back and met with Frank. And I guess, I, I don't know how far that is, but whatever. Hoofed it back there, left my food. 60 vertical miles. It, yeah, 60 to 61. Um, and, uh, you know, that's funny you bring that up. Those guys, I tell you what, I keep hearing stories about those guys. Um it's not gonna be good when I run into him but anyway so I I get back with with Frank I hooked it back there pretty quick and uh you know whatever we glassed and found some bucks next morning I guess we climbed to the top of glassing point and we got was a group of five yeah they uh, those bucks as wild as it is they um they ended up bedding back basically in the exact same spot where I killed my deer so you know there's the the carcass, which is what's left over from after I deboned the deer, you could almost see it in the same view as you could in the spotter. Like they were maybe 75 yards to the to the left of where I'd killed the the deer the previous day. So 
creatures of habit they went back up to the almost the exact same spot and they bedded down in a pretty a pretty approachable spot yeah well i mean i i approached right on it i almost screwed it up a little i shifted a hair too far right and i i think i saw the face of one in there and then i don't how long was i it's different when you got the bow in your hand you probably had were more cognizant how long was i behind them gosh it seemed like it was quite a while so you'd and it's it's tough to uh and we talked about this in like the podcast with omni people were messaging me like why don't you um why don't you signal aaron something like dude this basin is like it's freaking huge it's way bigger than the one that you were in yeah as far as distance across it might be the same size overall and as far as where the deer generally kind of congregate but it's huge and for you to see me from all the way over there it just hand holding your binos and me trying to to give you micro adjustments what kind of once you i think once you get to where you know where the deer are it's kind of all on you from there like i can't i can't tell you go 10 feet to the right or go it was over a mile away um because i was getting messages as well you know when i get back and if you can imagine um taking four people and putting them in four chairs in front of one patch of trees and having a mile and a half walk around to get to them and then drop them down to that one patch of trees from a mile across. I'm not complaining. It's just how it is. There's not a whole lot Frank's going to be able to do. And it worked out. I got 12 to 20 yards behind him, whatever it was, 16 to 20 yards, positioned myself in, in what I thought was the best possible place to be if they went left or right. And... I got about as close as I could to where I wasn't totally exposed. I had a tree in front of me. And and again, I can't remember if it was 12 or 16 yards to one side of the tree and and 20 to the other, something like that. And over the course of time, uh, one of the bucks came out to the left and stood there for quite a while. You're right, my left. Um, And it wasn't a buck. I really wanted to shoot, although I contemplated it for probably 20 seconds. I even put my fingers on the string, and I was like, man, I I really don't want to shoot this buck. And so he walked back in, and then a few minutes later, the 4x4 walked out, and it wasn't a giant 4x4, and he, I had a pretty good shot at him for, he stood there forever too, and he'd kind of look at my direction. I forgot. I had the GoPro on my head. I'm quite certain it was picking that GoPro out because that was about the only thing he could see through the tree I was in. And it stood there and then looked down and look up. And, and I definitely had some good shots at that. And that was at 14 yards. And then, I don't know, that probably all took five to ten minutes from the moment they started moving. Probably an hour or more total for me being behind that tree, I guess. Um, and I never got a good shot at that. The three-by-four I'd went over there. And I don't know if the wind swirled or what, but they bugged out. I mean, after a while, they took off, and that was pretty much the end of that. And I licked my wounds and thought, well, if we're back here, I've already screwed up not shooting a couple. You know, we, we might as well stick with a big one. And, and, and that's pretty much what we targeted, I guess. Um, and so the next day, same kind of thing happened. Oh, I forgot. That first day I did go after elk. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I dropped off the glassing point and, and uh I had a cow and a calf at I don't know 28 30 yards for quite a while in the cliffs and really had a hard time not shooting those. They were just feeding below me and I was I was like, "Man, if I shoot these." And it's good that I ended up not shooting them cuz it totally would have screwed up the deer hunt for the day. 
I went down there and I couldn't get on the bull. I didn't end up shooting the cow and the calf. So I climbed back up to the glassing point and then went on that stock. Um, so I was pretty tuckered out by the time we got back. And then the next day, um, I dropped in on those bucks again on the five by seven or whatever it was, the split buck. And Frank flagged me in and I, I dropped right down to him. And I thought I was above them and I wasn't sure. And I, I heard a buck run off and I saw it was the forky. And, uh, you know, that was, that's probably 15 yards below me, I guess. It was pretty close. Um, and I, but he came back. So I thought, oh, that was that big buck. Cause I knew what bucks were in there. I thought that was that big buck kicking at that other doe or something. And so I poked my head up when it looked like the little forky was facing the other way. Um, this is obviously the short, short version. And I saw the big buck's tines and I could have shot the forky. I mean, as far as where he was, but I was like, man, the, the big buck's going to come out left to right. If he comes out to the right, he's going to be facing away. If he comes out to the left, and Frank filmed this, I thought I'm going <laughs> to see his top of his rack. I'll go to full draw and, and shoot him. Well, uh, it did not work out like I planned. I did not see the top of his rack, and he came out. I don't know how close that was, but it was close. <laughs> Sub 10 yards probably. Um, he came out, and he pinned me immediately uh to my left and i, I didn't have a t chance to draw i have my bow ready um i have my fingers on the string but he pinned me and i thought the moment he turns his head i'll just make a snapshot and uh get an arrow in him well he didn't even clear his whole neck out of that rock and, and pin me and i had a tree to my left i didn't want to have it directly in front of me so i had it kind of cut my body line in half and it didn't matter he pinned me quick and blew out and did they go rebed after that or was that the next day I think that might have been the next day. Yeah, that was a that was a pretty cool encounter. I think, um, and yeah, just very frustrating to. Uh, I'm sure on your end for sure, but watching this all go down and that buck was right below you for for quite a while, just feeding. It's you can I couldn't tell you anything. Like I mean, we didn't have radios or and there's no cell phone service. From, oh, if we had radios, there. that buck would have been dead yeah, as shit. There's no cell phone <laughs> service from where you are to where I was, and I don't know. People can make their own decision on what they think is ethical on radio use. We don't use radios and, you know, we weren't communicating via cell phone because obviously we didn't have cell phone service to talk. So it's just, uh, yeah, I was, I was filming it through the spotter and you know, it gets more and more exciting because you get, you were in position and then you didn't necessarily know where the deer was. And then that little buck, I, at first, well, I even say it in the video there, I'm like, oh shit, they're starting to run. Well, that, that big buck just kind of hit his, you know, kind of lunged towards that smaller buck and that smaller buck jumped probably 10, 10 feet or so, um, out of the way of the big buck. And then that's kind of when you knew he was there and it was pretty suspenseful. It was cool to watch. Well, I was like eight yards from the edge of the rocks. And so the big, you know, there's 4 million things going on in your mind. The number one thing, once I saw the forky is, can I get to the edge of rocks without the forky seeing me and then blowing out? And about the time he'd go away where I'd, I literally put pressure on my toes to stand, he'd turn back around. He was just piddling around out there. So obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. Being a bit more aggressive initially would have paid off, but I wasn't 100% sure till I heard that forky run off. I was even in the right spot. There was cliffs that looked identical 15 yards to my left and 15 to my right. And it took a while to get down there to make sure I was even in the right spot. You know, I'm in my, my socks and everything, and so I'm, I'm quiet enough, but, you know, big fat guy popping over the top of a rock is going to make that 
Forky blow out, which will make any experienced four or five-year-old buck just immediately blow out. So that's what I was worried about. And then he came to left and he blew out anyway because he, you know, pinned me down, <laughs> um, which sucked. And so I think the next day we had really bad wind. Um, I think the buck blew out probably 200 yards before I even got down there. I got like a huge gust to my back and he blew out and then, and that day was eventful, but nothing super close. And then the next day, which was, I think the last day, um, no second to the last day, um, I went over about as far as you possibly can from any point. And I literally am two and a half miles from Frank walking and probably two miles or a mile and three quarter across. And I dropped down on this buck. And later on, you were laughing because you were like, when you hit a certain point and didn't knock an arrow, I knew you were fucked. <laughs> because yeah, I, I think you'd, I think you may have, uh, I think you stopped and took your boots off or something. And at that point, you were already past the buck to where he could almost see you. And I'm like, yeah. This is not going to go well. <laughs> and um, and he was only 25 yards to my right. Yeah, and only, and about 10 seconds later he took off, and then I was like, damn, that sucks because he's so far away. That's going to be a, a long walk to think about that one. Uh, well, and, and when I came down, I took a picture uh, from across, and to tell you how much difference it looks, I purposefully screwed myself on, on accident. I looked at a picture, and you probably saw me look at my phone, and I veered left, thinking that's the way I needed to go, and I actually veered away from the buck. Yeah. I should have veered right, and looking at the picture, I'm like, okay, it's in these cliffs 15 yards in front of me. I'm going to walk up and just shoot it in its bed. Well, as it turns out, it was 25 yards to my right, and I walked past it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that was a long walk back. And on the way back, though, I did about shoot a two by three who tried to commit suicide. I think that was that trip that was bedded like, I don't know, 28 yards off the trail that sat there. And literally that was the hardest time out of all the deer I'd passed up. That was probably the toughest because of the day I'd had walking back and having one on the trail. I seriously sat there and was like, I'm going to shoot this out of frustration. Like, <laughs> cause it wasn't a, it was a three year old two by three with bad genetics, you know? And I'm like, ah, this one could die, whatever. <laughs> and I didn't end up shooting it. And so the last day, um, I think, uh, man, nothing went right early that day. I went in on a big split buck and you said he saw me from probably 200 yards away. I thought I'd be more hidden coming in from above. And I think he was in a position bedded to where he could see everything. And when I dropped down, I thought he was tucked in trees. And I bet he was probably tucked in enough to where he could see me coming from above. Because yeah. you said he blew out. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. even, you said my socks and I put my socks on. Yeah, when I saw that happen, I just thought to myself, like, how many times um, – has this happened to me or, you know, anyone where you just went that, that situation where you go and you, you stock an empty bed and you get up to the bed and it's empty, you know, I'm like, well, shit, that thing literally right, right when you took your, your boots off and the, and the pack off and stuff that he, he was gone. And I was like, damn, <laughs> and you were kind of, you know, you were moving in on your stock and it was for like another 30 minutes and like, there's, <laughs> there was nothing I, there was nothing I could do. I, like I got my seat pad up and I was like trying to wave it and like, wave it in the air because it's orange on one side and yeah i mean we're so far away it's not like you were going to see any of that so yeah that that was a bummer yeah that and that was pretty much 
it and then you you loaded up your gear and uh and deer and headed out and then i was a couple hours behind you because i had to make the loop back we were out of food and i went back to camp one basically and i'll just skip all everything that happened that that big guy i got him on a stock and and he got a shot at a three by three and Anyway, the only shot I took on the trip, the big three by four, finally made a mistake, bedded down in the cliffs. The big dude from Indiana I'd ran into back there. I said, hey man, it's 8.30. I think that buck's gonna bed for a long time. Normally I wouldn't approach this early, but he's planted. I just need you to hold the flag over your head if he's there, you know, cause it's a long stalk and it's really, really a, just a kick in the dick to get there. I got over there, he's holding the flag up. I got my socks off, I'm in the cliffs, I'm trying to figure out where the hell he's at. I'm going process of elimination, he's not here, he's not here, finally, I'm like, he's got to be in these trees. I get down there and I pivot way left and I see an inch of tine and I'm like, my God, this deer is not shootable. He's not where he's at. So now keep in mind, in, in the course of two and a half hours, I closed from 50 yards to 10. And it was cool for Justin watching it because he'd never seen a stock like this. So I'm in vertical cliffs and I'm <laughs> I'm going one step, waiting a few minutes, one step. And I get to a point where I'm like, if this deer gets up and goes right, I've got a shot. And it was so steep after 15 minutes, my toes were pointed like at a severe downward angle. I'm like, man, my calves are shaking so bad right now. I, I'm not going to be able to maintain this position for, for too much longer. And so I was like, if I can make this one Spidey Man leap to my left, I'm home free. So I do the crazy back to the rock, flip my right leg around, stomach to the rock, put my right leg on the one foothold I had, pivot back to now where my right foot's down and my stomach's out, backs to the rock, and my left's on the ground, and it is steeper than shit. And I'm like, my God, if I slip here, I've got a 30-foot drop straight to this deer's bed. I'll kill him from landing on him. Well, now I'm like, okay, <laughs> it's now or never. I don't have much of a choice. I've got a few minutes of, of uh, my legs not giving out from this angle. I bump my ass up against the back of the rock to get into upward position, kind of like doing the limbo, lean up and the deer sees something, he stands perfect and I've got about two branches. The deer's probably 10, he's, he's eight to 10 yards below me at this point and he's, I've got some bristle comb, sparsy pine shit sticking in front of me and I, but I've got a gap. So I've kind of got to draw sideways, it's a weird angle. And I shoot and my, my arrow clips the top branch and I go just right across. I think I might have skimmed hair across his belly and he takes off. And uh, I about cried. Then I, I had some difficulty getting out of the cliffs uh, from where I was. Anyway, I got to the cliffs and um, I actually got to the top of the hill. I called my wife and was like, hey, um, I'm done. I'm coming home. We're going to Alaska in a few days. I'm going to come hang out with you. And she's like, are you sure? And I'm like, I'm pretty deflated. We can come back. <laughs> I was like, I just missed this bucket eight to 10 yards. And uh, she's like, what, did you make a bad shot? And I'm like, honey, it was just one of those things. Like I, I tried, you know, I, I, you know, it, I don't know what I would do differently if I did it again. I just 
clip that branch and and because of the arc of the arrow and the angle of the shot and everything it was just something i i honestly have I've never really shot on a 50 degree slope with my toes pointed down near death experience trying to gangster shoot it so it wasn't the easiest shot but it was a cool experience so i got to the top and and i said hi you know she was worried about because i'm not very good at failing at anything you know and she's worried about it and i'm like look honey uh, it's going to eat me alive, but I've had a lot of deer I've passed up. I've had great opportunities going in after big bucks. We can come back. I, I think I need, after nine days, I smelt really, really bad. <laughs> I was My feet were killing me from all the miles. I'm like, I'm going to load up and come out. So I did. I'm actually going to go antelope hunt today, but we're, we're going to go to Alaska, hopefully tag out early, fly back, and then try and head back in there and kill one of those big bucks but my, my story's not nearly as good as frank's i didn't kill anything but it, it was exciting i mean it was cool yeah no it was fun we, i mean that's why the season's so long because bow hunting isn't always the easiest thing to do so we have plenty of time to go back and have another trip even if we stay the whole time in alaska we'll still have another four five days day, four yeah. or five days to go back in there because i think i think the season ends on the 29th and then right after that you got your goat tag and yeah it starts the 30th so yeah no it's i don't think it's um I mean, it's kind of what happened last year. We just had to go back and yeah, go back and try to kill one. So, yeah, no, it was a, it was a fun trip. And um, I tell you, the I got a lot of questions. I got the two biggest questions: is one, if you had a compound, which I don't really think about that anymore. But the big difference with the compound is sub thirty yards. I think the stick bow is more advantageous. You can shoot faster, you know, and and things like that. But on those on those stocks for guys going from a compound to a stick the biggest difference is with a compound you can hang back at 40 or 50 and wait for them to stand where with a stick you just got to get closer which is super cool i mean i wouldn't change anything um you know as far as it it is exciting you know being sub 10 yards from a giant five by seven or three by four or whatever deer yes it's it obviously that would have been cool to capitalize but the, that's the biggest difference you can just hang back a little farther so when they get out of their bed to move around or feed or reposition you can get a shot um but i mean it is what it is i, I mean i'm not i didn't pick up the stick to shoot far far away you know i'm trying to get close my my kind of my big thing was i just wanted to shoot an old mature deer super close and we got the old mature part down we got the super close down we just get the kill down <laughs> it is what it is and then the the next question i got the most is why didn't I shoot any of those other deer? And I would say 10 years ago, I probably would have. Um, but when there's that many big deer, I mean, as Randy Cooling said, I didn't want to just shoot one for the gram. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's not like the freezers are empty. And I, and I just really w wanted to shoot something older than four years old. And they were there. Um, I mean, you did the same thing. I mean, you ended up shooting yours the first day, but your deer's what, eight years old probably? Didn't have any teeth. Did you see it had uh, fangs? <laughs> Yeah, tusks or whatever. So somebody hit me up on uh, Instagram and said that that was um, back in the day. They someone did research and deer had those tusks as I guess a form of um, I guess uh, to fight back from predators. Yeah. But then they ended up losing the tusks after the big predators started dying off into smaller predators. So they evolved into being more agile and running faster and stuff. But yeah, I, I took it over to Ron and he's like, "Oh shit, this thing has tusks." And I was like, "What?" And I didn't even I because it was it, it was in the game bag like. Right when I killed it, I you know I deboned the meat and all that stuff, and then I sat down and skinned out the head and took the jaw off, and then I put it in a game bag. So I hadn't looked at it since then, and uh, yeah, I had these little these little tusk things there, and 
I guess they're kind of like ivories or you know whatever, and he's gonna he's gonna make sure they stay on there. So it, was it didn't cool. have much for teeth though, did it? No, nah, they were pretty worn down. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not that you can tell everything from the teeth, but it's a pretty old buck. But I mean, when you're back there, um, you know, f- for well, one, I don't want to get made fun of by my friends, and two, Lander basically was daring me to prep me for Alberta. <laughs> As far as holding out, the first thing he did is he he called. He was funny. He's like, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. And I'm like, yeah, fuck off, dude. I didn't kill anything. I'm not that proud of me. And he was like, you did good, man. You passed up deer. And I'm like, yeah, well, my pack's not that heavy coming out. It's not that cool. (laughs) Um, But again, I mean, if there wasn't big deer, then I wouldn't have been passing shit up. But there was big deer in there. And so it just made sense. I, I got a ton of guys basically messaging me why the hell didn't i shoot some of those other deer and i don't know maybe i should have but it was cool i mean it's not like i'm starving and and it is kind of cool to go after you know the the bigger bucks or whatever when they're when they're there yeah tsd put the pressure on all the hunters before season when they said uh when they made fun of people for shooting two and a half year old deer <laughs> three and a half yeah yeah they, did uh, they they made some post about it yeah it was funny there you go they messaged me they're like you're gonna shoot a deer i'm like i don't know man you guys put the pressure on i can't shoot anything super tiny not that i i mean i'm not like a trophy hunter but um yeah it was it was well i didn't even see that post and i knew they'd make fun of me so there you go (laughs) (laughs) i I would say though uh ask gear questions a lot of people message us or whatever i would have to say food wise um frank had uh I would have to say it's like a little bundle of joy in a tube, um, the adapted fats. Yeah, those are good. That's a, a keto thing, a, a lady named Tina. I don't recall her last name. She's out of California. She started making that, I think, a year or two ago. And she had sent us some a while back, and I just had like a stockpile of it because I've been saving it for uh, for season this year. And it's good. It's like uh, coconut oil, uh, stevia, um is it called ghee? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I don't know what the hell it is, but yeah, it's, it tastes good. You can mix it in your coffee. You can use it for cooking. And, um, we were just eating it kind of just right out of the the little packet there. And it's 120, 150 calories per small tube. So it helps the flow a bit. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't weigh anything. Lubricates you up a little. And, um, yeah, it tastes really good. Yeah. It was probably the best besides the meals. Like it, the off-grid food, you know, they, Spencer and his buddy there that helps him, they make some good stuff. But uh, I think one thing that's important and one thing I have to focus on next year is, or the next backpack on is uh, focus a little more on variety because I had, like, you gave me a bunch of these um, protein chocolate graham fudge cracker. Gram. Yeah, fudge graham bars, and they're, they're good. They're bomb if you eat them one at a time, you know. But I brought so many of those. We were eating, like, three a day. And it doesn't matter what you have. If you're bringing a bunch of the same stuff, it just gets old. So that was a fail for me on my food, my food part. And then we like got there and I was like thinking when I was unloading, when I was at my, my camp by myself, I'm like, damn, dude, I didn't bring enough food. I forgot all about lunch. (laughs) So, I mean, luckily, I guess for me, I killed out on the first day. So we didn't have to share a whole heck of a lot of, cause you were, you were the one who was burning the calories. I was uh, glassing from the glassing point from camp, but, um, yeah, it was not a not a good food situation for me. I didn't bring enough. I did burn some calories. I don't know how many, but <laughs> did you weigh yourself? Yeah, I dropped eleven pounds. <laughs> um, I think I I've, I lost like three. I think though, out of all the questions we get, and we did a podcast with on my uh, Warner earlier, but um, m- 
Well, the one big man that came in, you know, it, it, I don't think people realize what they're getting into because just because you've went in eight miles, the party's really just getting started. Um, you're not going to probably not going to shoot too many deer by the trail. You got a lot of work ahead of you after that. Um, just the physical abuse you take is, is, um, probably a, a bit higher than most people maybe realize on a, on a backpack hunt. I, I think unless you've already been doing it, then you know. Um, but, you know, through the course of a day after the, the ass kicking hike in, you're probably looking at two to 3,000 feet of elevation gained and lost on average on a stock uh, in most high country areas. I don't, that's a guess. Do you think that's pretty? It, that could, I mean, it depends on your approach, I guess. If you're going to go all the way around, if you can go down the bottom and up the other side, or it just depends on where they're at. I know that um, I said I like to be able to glass from camp, but that glassing point I had, where you, it was, I don't know, what was that? Probably a, a few hundred feet of elevation. 500, I bet. Yeah. yeah. So you wake up first thing in the morning and get dressed, you know, do whatever you got to do. And then you go and hike that first thing in the morning. That was a bit of a, an ass kicker. I did that twice the one day for the elk. <laughs> but it was a good spot because, I mean, you could see a lot from camp, but you could just see that much more from that glassing spot. You could see into a couple other basins from that spot, which was nice. But yeah, I mean, you're starting off the day just with a 20 to how, I mean, you can make it as long as you want, but it was about a 20 minute hike up that thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then good. you got a mile and a half, at least, I guess. Yeah. Approach over and yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it's physically demanding. Um, in a lot of different ways. And then you have the weather and the food, water issues. I mean, everything's kind of a, a challenge. And, and uh, you know, as, as far as like people, you know, with the, you know, where do you camp questions and why? And everything is so dependent upon the situation and the glassing points are dependent. And I had a ton of people ask what elevation do we see deer on the north south east or west and fuck we see them on every elevation i i think part of it is people aren't used to looking as hard as you have to look and they're just not seeing them but they're there yeah we say this all the time but having your optics on a tripod was huge because we uh when you came to my camp we just had one one tripod and one spotter and that made it it tough (laughs) it made it tough so I mean, the, whoever was on the binos was uh, spotting out, I guess, what you call the low-hanging fruit, which would be the bucks. The easier ones. The bucks out there standing in the open feeding. And whoever was on the spotter was very had to be very meticulous. And um, like I said on the Omni podcast, since we were that our main spot where we were looking for these bucks was in the boulder fields, the shadows coming off those boulders, the, so the, the rocks themselves were like a light pinkish color. But the shadows coming off of them where the bucks were laying were, were very gray. And uh, spotting a, a buck from a mile and a half or however far it was in your binos, hand-holding, laying down in in, uh, in the shade was was hard. And even when I had my binos on the tripod, being that far away with a pair of 10-power binos was was pretty difficult too. So I think um, that was a pretty crucial crucial part of, of, uh, of the hunt was just having some quality optics. So um, I know, I mean... I probably, I definitely wouldn't be able to afford this kind of this kind of stuff without working here. But the the Zeiss binos, man, they're just in the spotter, they're unreal. Which I, I'm definitely very happy to have that. And um, another thing people asked was like, did you pack out your meat on the first day? No, we. Uh, it was kind of cool. We um, right where I camped, there was that there was a snowbank. So the night the night I killed my deer, hung it up in game bags, let it cool overnight. It was actually really windy that day and that night, so. The, the meat cooled really well, and uh, there was a snowbank, so we tossed the meat in a in a, one of our one of the outdoor research dry bags that we have, the fifty liter, 
and uh, just buried it in that snowbank, and it it stayed cold for however many. What was that? Five days, and it was like a it was like colder than a refrigerator. Well, so this was something big man and and his buddy Chase Chase shot a deer, and uh, I don't know if Chase just wanted to get out of there, <laughs> but he's like, I got to get this meat out. And this is what they're telling me, and I, I mean. I've had people tell me that I'm crazy, but I've been doing it for 20 some years and you can leave that meat for in the right conditions for a long time. It actually tastes better the more you let it age. So if you can get the blood to drip out, get it cooled. And then once it's cooled, you can get it in a creek or in the snow or in a super cold area. Like Frank said, when we pulled it out, it was colder than a refrigerator from where it was when you had it hanging. And then we put it in a snow cave and uh, that meat was super cold. Um, I mean, there's no issues with losing it four or five days. It's not a problem at all to keep it there. And I've kept it up to seven in snow and had no issue. So yeah, so that was that was pretty cool. Um, I think one thing I liked a lot. I just i i bought i bought the, <laughs> this Vormi um, like sh- sh- shirt hoodie merino blended shirt thing. It made me look like Robin Hood. Um, that thing was that thing was awesome. I talking to Aaron all summer long about man I want a super lightweight merino shirt that's got a hood or a merino blend and hardly anybody was making them and I saw that that company Vormi was making them and right before season they just restocked in a you know like a non-hiker color which was green and man that thing was awesome so no sunburns for me just on my hands you know look at your hands fucking way darker than your arms you're wearing long sleeves the whole time but that was awesome so I think the two best things for me were the optics for sure and and that shirt made it really nice for, for glassing all day because there's not a whole lot of shade there, especially on that glassing planks. You're up on a peak. So those were those were two big pieces for me, and everything worked out pretty well. Yeah, I would say the the same, that the adapted fats, everybody definitely check that out. Um, the optics were huge, and uh, that I do that Apex hoodie, which I did not buy. Um, I really like that Apex hoodie for for what you know it's super quiet as well as the apex pants with the getting as close as i'm able to get with with that is a a big one when the pants are kind of swishing together it's pretty hard to get sub 25 yards Mm -hmm. you got to be real careful um you know footwear wise i have to say um i wore those mockers again pretty good luck with those i i don't no matter how many miles you put on, I got a blister on the front of the one toe i remember i was telling you i was like i don't even know how i got it and you looked at me like hey dumb fuck you got it from going downhill. I'm like, no, I know that. I didn't feel getting it. And then I got back and I popped it. I was like, how the hell did I even get that? But uh, all of those things, when you're putting on that many miles, the food, the optics, your feet, you know, uh, trying to get some sleep, all that stuff's important. And I think and kind of what sums it up is a lot of people, you got to get out there and do it. And another thing guys ask is about being solo Man, some people aren't built to be solo. Um, Frank's definitely built more for being solo than, than I am. I can go a long time if I have to being solo. But if you go back there and you're driving yourself crazy being solo, find a hunting partner. There's no shame in not being able to make it solo. There's nothing wrong with that. You, you can hunt in buddy teams. And a lot of times that's what people prefer. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. But you, you got to have a certain mentality to hunt solo for a long period of time and and uh some people don't have it and there's nothing wrong with that but you're definitely gonna have to find a hunting partner to to do it because I'd, I'd say one out of every probably 50 people are built to maybe even 100 built to even go solo for more than one two nights yeah i um this is i don't i don't mind hunting with a partner but this is kind of the one hunt i like to do a year 
solo just because it's uh, super challenging to especially do on your own um, not, and not having somebody to help you flag in, which is extremely helpful to have somebody there. But I've just been doing it for so long. It's just kind of the one that I just like to do to do solo. But, yeah, it kind of takes a different mindset. But you know, the other thing I saw the other day on, uh, I think, at Jocko, his um, Instagram, there was something like uh, people ask me how to be mentally tough. You just do it. You just be mentally tough. It's not you can you that decision comes up in your mind. Should I, um, you know, it's raining. Should I go home or something like no, just stick it out, man. Yeah, because I think 100 percent of the time you leave, you leave it, you leave because of some condition and you get home. and You're like, damn, I shouldn't have left. I think Fred had something on his post yesterday, which was something along the same lines. Like he's quit before. And once and you feel like shit because of it. Oh, yeah. And Amy was worried about that with me when I came. I guess I only came back a half a day early, but. But you were like out of food and you're yeah. there for nine days. It's not like, it's not, that's, I wouldn't say that's where you quit. And plus, we're going to go back. But there's like guys who go in for a day or two and they just get, you know, they get in the wrong mindset and then they just give up. It's like, dude, you can, you're going to go home and you're going to hate it. Yeah. And I will agree with that. Um, I haven't done that in a long time, but I know what it feels like. And you truly, if you give everything you've got, generally it's going to pan out for you. I mean, I'll definitely say I gave everything I had and probably even a little bit more than maybe most people might because um, I really wanted to shoot one of those big deer and it didn't pan out. But um, the difference between giving it everything you have and going after what you want and and not being successful, I can say at least I have a little bit of a warm and fuzzy compared to if I went home on day three. Right. And you can't take that back, you know, so giving it everything you've got. And uh, I will say a couple of my buddies, uh, uh, Clay, one of them said, dude, it's good for you to get your ass kicked every now and then it builds character. And I'm like, oh, thanks, Dick. But it uh, it uh, it is what it is. But anyway, uh, I think that's it for now. I'm going to go here in a little bit and try and shoot an antelope. And Frank's probably going to have to do work. So appreciate everybody (laughs) tuning in. All right. Thanks.